On this episode of Rev Hangout, Ben and I talk about the 12-hour race at Sebring and the wild race that we got at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rev Hangout. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and alongside me across the airwaves is my good friend and co-host, Ben Bagley. How's it going, Ben? Well, I was going to mow the lawn today, but it's raining here in the desert, so it could be going better. I see. Well, it was a beautiful day out here in the valley, <laughs> so looks like we swapped sides a little bit there. All right, so we've got some stuff to catch up on from last week, so I guess we'll just dive right in. The Sebring 24-hour happened last week. There are several classes that raced, including the DPI class, which is what replaced LMP1. Then there is LMP2, LMP3, GTD Pro, and GTD, which is Grand Touring Daytona. Okay, starting with DPI. Cadillac swept the podium in the DPI class this year. There were many on-track incidents during the race, as there tend to be at Sebring. It's an extremely bumpy track that can catch even the most experienced drivers off guard. We saw the leader of the race spin out several times throughout the day, which made for some entertaining action. Things really heated up when the sun went down. Drivers began to misjudge overtakes and crash out as a result. Earl Bamber in the O2 car crashed into one of the Ferraris in the GTD class as he was battling Richard Westbrook in the number 5 car. This allowed Westbrook to take the lead of the race with just over an hour of running left to go. Bamber gathered himself and eventually fought back to take the lead of the race and ultimately win. The top three teams in the DPI class were, in first place, Earl Bamber, Alex Lynn, and Neil Jani. In second place, Tristan Vatier, Richard Westbrook, and Loic Duval. In third place, Pipo Durrani, Tristan Nunez, and Mike Conway. Moving on to LMP2. The LMP2 class featured a father-son team this year, consisting of two-time Indy 500 winner Juan Pablo Montoya and his son Sebastian Montoya. This was an exciting pair to watch as Sebastian was in his IMSA debut and was unproven at this level. He excelled in the car to say the least, gaining time on his opponent's hand over fist. His father, a legend in, motor, in the motorsports world, got behind the wheel next and unfortunately crashed out on lap 83, damaging the car beyond repair. This accident was not his fault, as another prototype car spun in front of him, forcing him into the car beside him before being sandwiched by the spinning car. None of the drivers involved in the accident were injured, thank goodness. I'm sure we'll see the Montoya's back at another IMSA race very soon and very much look forward to it. That being said, the number 52 car drove off into the distance and won by a comfortable margin. The top three teams in the LMP2 class were, in first place, Ben Keating, Michael Jensen, and Scott Huffaker. In second place, Fritz Van Aerd, Gito Vandergaard, and Dylan Murray. In third place, Dwight Merriman, Kyle Tilley, and Ryan DL. Moving on to LMP3. The LMP3 class was more of a test of who could reach the end of the race rather than who got there first. Drivers in this class struggled throughout the day and had met, and many had a short day. To sum it all up, the third place team, car number 38, finished eight laps behind the leaders and was still on the podium. The top three teams in the LMP class three, LMP3 class were <laughs> Joao Barbosa, Malte Jacobson, Lance Wilsey in first place. In second place... Ari Ballo, Garrett Grist, Dakota Dickerson. In third place, Daniel Goldberg, Rasmus Lind, and Cameron Shields. Moving on to the GTD Pro class. This class was very competitive early on in the day with all of the drivers fighting for the top position. This class stayed way closer than all the others throughout the race with most of the cars finishing within one lap of the leader. In the end, the Corvette raced the Lamborghini to the checkered flag and won. The top three teams in the GTD Pro class were, in first place, Antonio Garcia, Jordan Taylor, and Nick Katzberg. In second place, Marco Mapelli, Andrea Caldarelli, and Mirko Bortolotti. In third place, Cooper McNeil, Jules Ganun, and Mauro Engel. And let's finally move on to the GTD class. This class rounded things off with some good racing all around. The Ferraris stood out as some of the fastest cars in class and took the first and third spots on the podium. The top three teams in the GTD class were, in first place, Roberto Lacorte, Giorgio Cernagiato, <laughs> Antonio Fuoco, in second place, 
Mike Skeen, Stephen McAleer, Daniel Hunikaya. Oh my gosh, these names. Hunkadea. And in third place, Simon Mann, Luis Perez Compunk, and Tony Valender. Okay, that was a mouthful. You truly have a gift for pronunciation of names. I wouldn't have made it half that far. <laughs> it's it's tough with the uh, all Italian teams. <laughs> it really is, yeah. Those uh, Ferrari factory teams really kind of mess you up sometimes. Yeah, but uh, okay. So it was a really pretty hectic race. There were crashes pretty much constantly. It was terrifying. Yeah, especially at night. There were there were some pretty pretty crazy incidents at night, and there's. You know, there were a couple of cars that stalled out and then just sat on the racing line. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a... Even during the daytime, there was a, a worrying trend of... I think it was a lot of the LMP3 cars, a lot of the rookies, just not really knowing how to uh, save themselves out of a corner, out of a spin, or whatever happened to them. They had to stop, either right in the middle of the pit lane or right in the middle of a blind corner or coming off of a blind corner, and it was just... I mean, it's impressive on all the cars behind them for not hitting them, but goodness gracious. Yeah, no, it's it's common courtesy and practice, and just just for safety in all motorsports. When you when you crash your car, you're supposed to stop moving as quickly as you can, and most of the time you do that just by planting your foot into the brake. But a lot of these cars, especially with the younger drivers, when they spun out, were just rolling across the track after they spun. And yeah. even the commentators noticed and spoke up and said, like, this is not not what they need to be doing, and they really need to learn that when you crash, even if you're on the track, you just have to stop moving. Because if you move, it just makes it harder for everybody else to avoid you. Yeah, there were some pretty uh, entertaining recoveries there. You know, a little bit of a donut. These cars... You know, they just crash into the dirt, flip a quick UE, and head right back out on the track. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I love I love um, endurance racing for that reason. That just because you crash out, as long as you're not beyond repair, you're not completely out of the race. Yeah, a lot of cars, especially in twenty four hour races, will completely break down, and then they'll get towed back to the pits. And then they'll get fixed, and then they go back out. Yeah. So it's it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, watching the amount of damage these cars took and kept going. I mean, even like the DPI cars go clear off the track into the grass, wipe through a couple of signposts, and then just run right back onto the track, call it good. I uh, saw one guy who came into the pits without a brake rotor. Uh, he'd melted it off. That was pretty impressive. But he was able to get it back to the pits at that point. Yeah, I don't know how you manage to brake even remotely under control with three brakes. Yeah. Because <laughs> evidently his brakes were overheating, so I'd imagine the other three were overheating as well, and one of them was completely burned out. Yeah, it's so. just impressive. And that kind of transfers over to how close the drivers are willing to get to other drivers. And sometimes it results in, you know, bumps and crashes and tip-offs and all that sort of nasty stuff. But sometimes you get really, really just gutsy overtakes, too. Yeah. Uh, people from across classes were were really sending it into some of the turns. Like we, like I said, the, uh, the leader of the race in the DPI class at one point crashed into one of the back marker Ferraris, just sideswiped and going into a turn because he had the guy in second place right on his tail. Then he ended up spinning out, and I think he only lost somewhere between six and ten seconds, and then yep. managed to make that back up and pass for the lead and won by what looked like a pretty comfortable margin. Yeah, it was impressive. It was almost like watching a video game at some points, you know, Gran Turismo or Forza, where you're on your Xbox or PlayStation, you're just weaving through traffic, you you just bump the AI cars off the road, you pit maneuver others, you sideswipe some, and you just absolutely grind your way to the top. Yeah, there was a lot of sideswiping. You see, uh, the I found it kind of funny the higher class cars would literally just, it seemed sometimes, just use the lower class cars as brakes. Yep. <laughs> they would just sideswipe them and run them completely off the road. 
Oh yeah, there are some certain so. maneuvers that the uh, California Highway Patrol would be proud of in this race. Oh, indeed. Very much so. <laughs> but, yep, uh, there were a lot of drive through penalties, which is pretty much the standard penalty if you cause someone to crash in um, endurance racing. So, lots of those being handed out, that basically means you just have to drive through the pit lane without stopping for a pit stop. So it's just a big waste of time because you have to slow down a lot and everybody can just keep going at full speed. So that's the significance of that. There are quite a few, uh, especially in the upper cl upper classes, quite a few penalties given out over the 12 hours. Very much so, yeah. Okay, so that's all we had from the last week other than the F1 race. So let's just jump right into everybody's favorite series. The second installment of the 2022 Formula One World Championship took place in Saudi Arabia at the Cornish Circuit in the capital city of Jeddah. This track's second year on the calendar, and so far it's brought us two very good races. Both of them have been riddled with controversy. This year the race was very nearly cancelled as there was a drone strike mere miles from the track on Friday. The event organizers met with the teams and drivers several times over the next few hours and ultimately decided that the race would go ahead. So this this was kind of the big the big story this weekend, other than the crazy race that we got. Yeah, and I think it kind of led into a lot of drivers' concerns about just having the race in Saudi Arabia overall. Obviously, we don't really want to get into the all the politics surrounding that on this particular show, but... There are loads of places where you can read about that, but it was kind of uh, an opportunity for drivers to kind of get their foot in the door about how they f really feel about the race, uh, and in the end it ended up still going on, but it's very exciting, you know, having a missile strike and getting to watch the flames from the track. Yeah, I can imagine why some people would be a little concerned, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I think this will get some conversations going about what's going to happen in the future in terms of this event. Um, I really like the track. I think it's really cool. It's very dangerous, so it does need to be changed a little bit. But overall, I really like the layout. I like the high speed. I like the DRS games, which we'll talk about later. So I, I would be kind of sad to see this track go, but at the same time, I would understand if, if uh, a decision was made either way. I think they can make it up to me if they replaced it with Spa. Yes. Spa. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like Spa might be leaving the calendar in the next couple of years. Yeah. Which would be a real tragedy, because that is my favorite track. <laughs> it's a lot of people's <laughs> at least, favorite at least track. To drive. Yeah, it's, it's a great track. So um, to see Spa replace that would be, would be okay with me. But let's move into qualifying. The craziness of the race all started here. The track has three very long straights and several low-speed corners, so engine power is really important at this track. With that being said, the Mercedes-powered cars struggled to put good lap times on the board due to their lack of engine power. This was highlighted when Lewis Hamilton was knocked out in Q1 to qualify 16th for the race. Q2 saw a very scary accident involving Haas driver Mick Schumacher. He came around turn 10 and hit the inside curb at a weird angle, which sent his car into a spin and into the wall at over 170 miles an hour. The session was red flagged for almost an hour as they tended to Schumacher and cleaned up the gigantic mess that the incident created. Schumacher was taken to the medical center for routine checks and thankfully had no major injuries. The car, however, was beyond repair for the race the next day. Schumacher should be back in the car for the Australian GP in two weeks' time, so I'm looking forward to seeing him hopefully get a chance to fight for uh, fight for some spots again. In Q3, we saw a wild battle for pole. Sainz put up a very impressive 128.402, which was provisional pole for all of about five seconds. Leclerc then crossed the line with a 128.225, which was about a full second faster than the commentators predicted the pole winning time would be. Sergio Perez had a rather, rather quiet qualifying until this last session where he managed to decrease his best time by over half a second. Perez crossed the line with a time of 128.2 flat, beating Leclerc's time by less than three hundredths of a second. 
Verstappen crossed the line with a 128.461 qualifying P4 and finishing the second row with signs. Perez took his first pole position and became the first Mexican driver to ever do so. This was supposed to be a crazy race, and a crazy race it was. Yeah, so backing up to the Schumacher crash, how do you think this is going to affect Haas in the future in terms of budget? Because, I mean, I was watching that and recover that car. It fell in half when they picked it up. Well, they're designed to do that now. They, they, the, the safety designs have changed since last year, um, and the back, the back half of the car basically is designed to break away in a crash like that, to absorb some of the energy, so the driver doesn't have to absorb it all. Um, so that obviously leads to, and I mean, the the whole car just falls apart when it crashes. Now it was this yeah. was the first big crash that we've seen this season. And it was, I think, jarring for a lot of people to see just how how much the car literally just unravels. Because yeah. he, he hit the wall, and in previous years, I mean, it would have done a lot of damage, but he probably would have just taken his back tire off and then spun out and hit the other wall. Whereas in this crash, his car literally disintegrated. <laughs> yeah, but it stopped him dead. Well, it did. Dead, but uh, that's what you want the car to do is to stop cease motion and absorb all the impact before it gets to the driver exactly but it's going to be uh, an expensive receipt for haas especially as one of the smaller teams who didn't really get any money from constructors championship last year yeah it will be a big expense for sure i was reading i was reading about that earlier that haas having to rebuild a car completely this early in the season is could be could be a major setback for them, but we'll have to see. It seems like Haas has the budget for it. I would imagine they probably budgeted for car rebuilds, and they say they don't need outside sponsorship this year. So we'll see how the how true that <laughs> how true that really rings. But yeah, it's gonna be a massive repair job for Haas, and I'd imagine they probably need a new engine, and that's gonna come with consequences later on in the season. Yep. Okay, so let's move on to the race. I'll go through the finishing order first, and then we'll talk about some of the talking points. So, starting in first place, winning the race, we had Max Verstappen, followed by Leclerc, Sainz, Perez, Russell, Ocon, Norris, Gasly, Magnussen, Hamilton, Zhao, Hulkenberg, Stroll, Albon, Bottas, Alonso, Ricardo, Latifi, Sunoda, and then Schumacher. So we only had 13 finishers. It was a pretty, it was kind of a, a race of attrition. There were seven people that didn't finish the race. Two of them didn't even start the race. So it was kind of it was kind there of, was there was a lot going on. There were five yeah, there DNFs, really was. five DNFs over the course of the race, and some of them were pretty big. Yeah, some of them you might even say affected the course of the race for a lot of other drivers too. Indeed. Uh, so Perez started on pole. He got a great start and was pulling away from the Ferraris. And so he 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 was he was basically positioned in a place to win the race, and then he there were some radio shenanigans, and it seemed like Ferrari kind of faked out Red Bull. They said that they were going to have Leclerc box and put on fresh tires so that hopefully they could overtake Red Bull on the pits. Uh, this this caused Red Bull to react and bring Perez in uh, before Leclerc to try and cover that off, cover off the undercut. So Leclerc went on, Perez boxed, and the next lap, or it might have even been that lap, uh, Latifi... Right around there. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Latifi hit the wall and was... <laughs> his car was destroyed right on the racing line. 
So that, that caused a virtual safety car, which eventually turned into a full safety car. And at that point, Perez was the only person who had pitted. So oh, he... I thought the Latifi crash happened a lot later in the race uh, between Verstappen and Leclerc. The Latifi crash? No. Yeah. No, there was... The Latifi crash was earlier. That's what... Um, that's what lost Perez that position. I think oh, okay. the the one later on between Verstappen and Leclerc was Albon, because he had a tussle with... I forget who it was. Uh, it might have been Stroll. It was Lance Stroll, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's so that caused... That's what I get for watching the race in two parts. <laughs> yeah, so his wheel, he got his wheel unraveled, basically, and he had to stop on the track, which caused a yellow lap at the end of the race, which we'll get to a little bit later on. So... Back to Perez, he was the only one that boxed at that point, and so everybody else got to pit and put on fresh tires under safety car conditions, which means Perez was outside driving slowly, whereas when he pitted, everybody was out on the track driving quickly under green flag conditions. So he lost about 10 seconds overall in the race um, as pretty much everybody got a free pit stop. So he yep, moved into... For, uh... Magnussen and Hamilton, especially. Yes. So he moved into fourth place after that. Um, well, third, uh, initially, uh, before the restart. Uh, he 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 passed Signs as Signs was coming out of the pits. Uh, they there when you when you come out of the pits and it's under safety car. It's really complicated. But there's a safe. There's a line on the ground at the exit of the pit lane called the safety car line. And if you cross that line before someone else, after you after you pit, then you will be in front of them. So Perez and Sainz crossed the line at almost exactly the same time, but Sainz was just barely ahead at the line. Perez was on the inside of the turn, crossed the line second, and then cut through in front of Sainz to go into third place. So there was there was a lot of talk during the safety car about where Perez should be, and eventually after the restart, after they were racing, Red Bull instructed Perez to give the position back to Sainz, which, you know, I get it. It was kind of, <laughs> I kind of wanted to see him fight it out, but... Yeah, uh, interesting fair. takeaway for that, or for me from that, was the ha more hands-off approach that we got from race control where you know the drivers have an opportunity to give the point or the give the place back themselves before any action's taken but if they don't and action ends up being taken then they get the penalty so i thought that was kind of an interesting reaction to some of the shenanigans from last season that this is an attempt to rectify i was wondering what you thought about that i think it's good i think it's good that they they leave it to the teams and the drivers to sort out what they want to do. And if they come to agreement, then great. And if not, then the FIA can step in and take charge. I think that just makes things a lot better. People would be less upset if the teams can come to an agreement because then everybody's happy. But if the, if the FIA has to step in, then they obviously are not going to let a penalty, an obvious penalty, go unpunished. But... Um, yeah, I think it's good for the sport, and I also really liked how I've liked in both races so far how the FIA has handled incidents. They they note incidents, and they but they take care of them so quickly compared to last year. You know, like within half a lap, what the punishment or what what actually happened, and what they're gonna do about it. Whereas in previous years, if a penalty happened on track, you would wait maybe half the race maybe maybe two hours after the race before you actually knew what happened and what they decided to do and so famously in brazil i believe in 20 either 18 or 19 um lewis hamilton scored a podium but crashed alex albon out on one of the last laps and was given a given a penalty long after the race had ended, and that bumped Carlos Sainz up into third place, giving Sainz his first podium, which he celebrated alone with his team. <laughs> well, he, he yeah, was alone on the podium, well. and then, yeah. So, 
he got to celebrate that with McLaren all by himself. So he didn't really get his first podium celebration, but, um, you know, it still counts. But, I mean, that's not what we want to see in the sport. We want to see the results be the results rather than waiting to see what happens. So I'm really glad that the... uh, that the race control is more prompt about about their decisions. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Okay, so let's talk about the the two people that did not start the race. We already talked about Schumacher, so let's let's talk about Yuki Sonoda. He had engine problems all week. And qualifying he he had some sort of failure and basically wasn't able to set a time which pushed him to the back at the start of the race. And then he had an engine failure while he was driving out to to line up on the grid. <laughs> so poor guy. He, uh, he, is, he got the short end of the stick on the Red Bull engine when the, uh, the other three did last week. <laughs> yeah, they must have only had three spare vacuum pumps. And, well, somebody had to get an old one. <laughs> exactly. So, unfortunately, Tsunoda was not able to start, but he should be back next week. Alright, uh, let's talk about... We we had a few really, really scrappy battles this week, and one of them was was Akon and Alonso, the two Alpine teammates. Yeah, that was probably the battle from this race that most people are going to remember. That was crazy. They were fighting each other so hard. I was I was ready for one of them to go into the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was some really, really close turns taken. I thought one of them was going to lose a spoiler multiple times going through some of those corners. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought Alcon was maybe being a little aggressive in some of the points. I think maybe he took some risks that... If they made me uncomfortable, I can't imagine how the mechanics and the pit wall felt on Alpine <laughs> side. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was heart attack after heart attack on the Alpine pit wall, uh, but they they kept it pretty clean overall. Uh, they there was no no real contact. There might have been a brush or two, but they they kept it clean. They kept it fair. They both raced very hard. Akon has been known to race his teammates very hard, and something about him in pink cars uh, <laughs> really likes to <laughs> really likes to pressure his teammate. So we didn't really see that much last year, but this year it looks like it's uh, it's back on. They're in a competitive car, so maybe they're they're both fighting for the points a little more. Yeah, because uh, I know Alonso didn't finish, but if he had a chance to not not finish the race, do you think he would have been able to stay ahead of Akon? Or do you think that Akon would have eventually been allowed to battle him a bit more? Because I know the team kind of told him to back off towards the end. Yeah, I think they would have... I think Alonzo would have ended up in front if he didn't DNF. But it's hard to say, obviously. Yep. But I mean, yeah, it, Alpine eventually probably would have told them to stop fighting because it was it was really honestly tanking both of their races because they brought Bottas and Magnussen into the fight when they really didn't need to. Yeah, they were they were fighting each other so hard they lost so much time, like ten plus seconds to the cars behind, and uh, they ended up fighting a four way battle rather than <laughs> just with each other. Yeah, maybe used a little some of that aggression on uh, defending. Magnuson and Bottas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Alpine would have put a stop to that fight eventually, but it it, it all turned out okay. Well, sort of. <laughs> for but, one of the drivers. Yeah. For for one of the drivers. Um, speaking of things that turned out okay, uh, let's talk about Hamilton's recovery. Because he, he, grew, he drove really well. He was my pick for driver of the day, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. He didn't win it, but uh, he started 16th and made his way all the way up to, like, what, 6th, I think? And then he... I don't remember if he had a problem or if he was just trying some alternate strategy. But uh, he had to pit again towards the end of the race and ended up finishing 10th. So he still got a point, but he did recover from 16th to 6th about two-thirds of the way through the race. 
So a really good drive from him to yeah. To get he probably all the way back. Come out ahead of Magnuson, except for the red or yellow flag that kept the pit lane entry closed mm-hmm. due to I don't remember who it was who was stopped in the pit lane. It might have been Alonso actually. I believe it was yeah. I think it was Alonso. Yeah, because if the pit lane hadn't been closed, I mean, he could have gotten a, gotten away with a really good pit stop under that yellow and gotten away in front of Magnuson, but he had to yeah. go around another lap and. Yeah, that kind of caused him some problems. Stick on that one. Yeah. So speaking of Alonso stopped in the pit entry, um, the reliability of all of the engines is now kind of in question. Because yes. every single engine this week had a a failure <laughs> everywhere. Like so, the Honda Tsunoda's engine failed at the beginning of the race. That was the only problem that Red Bull had. Yeah. Um. And then let's see. We had Daniel Ricardo. I think was next, or Alonso. One of the two. That was. Pr- those so, were pretty much at the same time. Uh, yeah. It was pretty much. It was almost at the exact same time. Right it was kind of weird. 37. We had like three. We had like three engine failures because Bottas also had an engine failure or something. Right. Uh. So that's the Renault engine and the Mercedes engine and the Ferrari engine. That's the hat trick right there. Right, plus the Red Bull engine from the beginning. So all four engines had a failure this week. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see who who can make the most reliable engine because at the moment it doesn't look like <laughs> any of them are perfect. But, you know, none of them are ever perfect. I mean, there's always stuff like this at the beginning of, the, of a season. No, you're right. But right now I'd say my money is still on Ferrari for having probably the best combination of blistering performance and not knocking their drivers out of contention. I would say uh, so. Every race. I would agree with that. Tsunoda was the only Red Bull-powered driver who was able to finish the first Grand Prix. And it looks like the bad luck came back around to bite him on this one and finished him off in the second race. Yeah. So, with the reliability problems came some opportunities for some lower lower teams, lower dri- lower um, <laughs> slower teams, I should say, to... <laughs> get some points uh with seven dnfs there were only three non-points finishers uh which were joe hulkenberg and stroll so looks like aston martin still out of the points and williams had a double dnf so neither of them have points still but we did see some people jump up uh mclaren seemed to have rebounded a little bit norris got seventh place and i believe Ricardo was kind of in that top 10 area for a while before he had his engine failure. Yeah, I mean, McLaren's still really not the team we were expecting this season, but it was good to see Norris claw his way up a little bit to get some points finally for the team. Although, Alcon ahead of him was pretty impressive. Yes, I think Alpine is going to win the best of the rest this year. At least, well, I can't say that, it's way too early. But Alpine at the moment, I think, is the fourth best car. I think so, too. So, well, I guess that depends on how you define best of the rest, but uh, I would say it's pretty clearly Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, and then Alpine. Yeah, which is an interesting shakeup that I don't think many people saw coming. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Mercedes, Russell had a really good race. and Yeah, he's been pretty consistent over these past two races. I don't know if you can call it consistency, but... Uh, <laughs> He did out-qualify Lewis Hamilton this time by quite a margin. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then he did finish fifth, which I think I had him finishing fourth, so I I was kind of close there. (laughs) Yeah, that's no small feat if you'd watched the race. That's pretty impressive out of Russell. Yeah, and he he was really fighting with some people. He had had some really cool, really awesome overtakes. Yeah. down into turn one really dive bombing some people so it's good to see that he's got he's already comfortable enough in that car to really go for it yeah which is exactly what the team needs and oh yeah where it seems that they're not going to be just as brutally strong as previous years and they just need both drivers to be at the top of their game scoring points which they did this race yes they did in order to make it as close to the top as possible yeah 
they uh, they really need both of them to be on form. So speaking of some good points, Kevin Magnuson finished in P9, getting two points for Haas. So yep. a two-point finishes in a row for Haas after last year. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really awesome. I love that they're back, back scoring points again and competitive. Yeah, it's really good to see. And it makes me hopeful that when Schumacher is back in racing shape, Maybe we see him start to work his way closer to actually getting some points for the first time in his yeah. career. That would be really cool to see. I'm sure he will score points this season. I would be very surprised if he didn't. Okay, let's move on to the... Let's let's talk about where we sit in the Constructors' Championship after this race. Um, Ferrari is on top with 78 points. Mercedes in second with 38 points. Red Bull in third with 37, then Alpine with 16, Haas with 12, Alfa Romeo with 9, Alfa Tori with 8, McLaren with 6, Aston Martin with 0, and Williams with 0. So Ferrari is out to a out to quite a quite a big lead early on. Looks like they're 41 points ahead of Red Bull, who I would consider their primary competitor. So that's that's a good that's a good amount of points. Yeah, I hate to use the word commanding so early in the season, but I it's hard to imagine after seeing these first two races and the the cars that Ferrari's put out and the drivers performing at just really high levels, it's hard to see them performing any worse than they have these past two races. Yeah, starting the season off with a 1-2 and then a, the second race getting a 1-3 is almost ideal <laughs> in in the literal sense of the word. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, two three, right? Oh, two three. My bad. Sorry. Yes. But when Red Bull got a double DNF in the first race, that really helped them out a lot. Yeah, that really pushed them ahead. It even pushed Mercedes ahead by one point on Red Bull. Although it seems that Red Bull's going to be able to make up that gap quite quickly. Oh yes, I would be surprised if Red Bull was not in second place after the next race. But we will see in time. So let's move on to the Drivers' Championship, where Leclerc is leading with 45 points, followed by Sainz with 33, Verstappen with 25, Russell with 22, Hamilton with 16, Ocon with 14, Perez with 12, and Magnussen with 12, Bottas with 8, Norris with 6, Tsunoda with 4, Gasly with 4, Alonso with 2, Joe with 1, and then Schumacher, Stroll, Hulkenberg, Albon, Ricardo, and Latifi are yet to score points this season. So Leclerc is out in front, um, and signs in second. So I think those two are still, still gonna be up there fighting. I think they're gonna fight for the entire season. Yeah, I think Signs is gonna. Signs is really looking good, and I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna win some races. It seems like he just needs his track. Yeah, it'll be great for him to be able to push Leclerc too. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, is Sainz really pushes Leclerc, and now Verstappen is going to be pushing Leclerc. So I think Leclerc is going to pull out some really, really good performances this year, and then Sainz will as well. I think Sainz is just as good as Leclerc. I think he's just, I think he just needs the right track. And, yep. uh you might need to get used to these cars a little bit more, but uh, I think that the, the talent at the top of the field and in, in the top five in the drivers' championship between Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, Russell, and Hamilton, I think those are the best five drivers on the grid. Yeah, which is even more impressive when you see Alcon right behind them. Yeah, Alcon, and then well, I think another one is Gasly. I think Gasly is one of the best drivers on the grid, and Norris, but they're not in cars that are super competitive this year unfortunately no the red bull drivers definitely got the short end of the stick on their point scoring both of them only competing in one race so far this season yeah yeah not not too great but uh that will all change as the season goes on i'm sure things will settle out in the in the constructors uh red bull will move up mercedes will move down um, and then I think Perez will move up. Perez looks really fast this year. I think he's got a really good handle on this car. 
I mean, he was two tenths faster than Verstappen in qualifying this time around. So yeah, I I would argue that Perez is going to be what Red Bull wanted him to be last season. I think he's got it now. Cause I he's, do too. Yeah, he seems way more stable and comfortable in that car. Yeah, I think he really needed the confidence too, after being with Racing Point. Uh, not mm-hmm. as high-performing car, and then going straight to Red Bull. It's a big jump for a guy who had never gotten a qualifying P1 or a, such a good qualifying performance until 11 years into his career. Right. Yeah, no, uh, getting getting signed on to a major team after, you know, 10, 11 years, um, you know, I can imagine how, <laughs> how grueling that 10 years must have been because he was never really... He was always kind of just around being in the fifth place car it seemed yep like they it seemed like racing point were always kind of in the same spot now that i think about it i haven't really thought about that before but racing point was always kind of just the middle of the midfield except for 2020 when they were like the third fastest car yep and now we have alpine which bwt sponsorship pink car top of the midfield again yes maybe bwt is the (laughs) It's the reason for that. Special sauce. (laughs) Special sauce. Yeah. Um, But uh, oh, and we will get to see the the primary Alpine livery starting next week. Thank goodness. Yeah. (laughs) I like it more than the all pink. I will say. I pink is unique, but it's it's cool for two races. I've decided. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm excited to see their their normal car. Um, the delivery's grown on me quite a bit. A lot of the liveries have. I didn't like a lot of them at first, but uh, they look a lot better on track. I think a lot of them do. Having that directional lighting really helps. Yes, rather than the random render lighting <laughs> that you know makes everything look different. Yeah, that but... soft box glow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have a couple of new segments on Rev Hangout. We'll start with this one, which will be short and sweet every week. This is the overtake of the week. Um, it's not. It's not confined to Formula One. It's any any motorsport, any any overtake. If you send it and it sticks and it's awesome, then you have a shot. But the the one that I saw that really <laughs> was pretty crazy was Fernando Alonso's overtake on Esteban Ocon. Uh, at turn one on lap seven of the F1 race this week. There was yeah. such little space. They were inches from each other, and then Akon was inches from the wall, and it was, oh, man, crazy. That, that could have ended so poorly, but Alonso made it stick, and uh, Akon made it really tough for him. <laughs> yep. I mean, any pass that happened during that exchange was bound to be just one of the more exciting parts of the of the race and having it cut that close by Alcon and Alonso made it even more exciting. Yeah, having it be teammates I think just adds to the suspense because it, the stakes are so high. If if someone makes a mistake, it's a double DNF and that's not not good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, congratulations to Alonso for winning our first overtake of the week award. And uh, we'll move on to the Pit Stop Championship, which I'm really excited for. <laughs> uh, so we're the way we're going to do this is every driver, um, we will take their fastest pit stop from the race. It doesn't matter how many they have, just the fastest one for each driver. And then we'll rank them. The top 10 in the race get points. Uh, it will be the same amount, same scoring as regular F1. Um, and then at the end of the season, we will look at all of the different data. <laughs> we'll look at the individuals and who got the best pit stop, and then we will pull the points and look at the teams and figure out who who wins the pit stop championship in terms of consistency and also being quick. So, starting things off, we had the fastest pit stop of this this race, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was Lando Norris and his total pit stop time from the time he entered to the time he left the pits was 20.383 seconds followed by yeah (laughs) followed by Perez 
at 20.481. Then Ricardo, I won't read all these out, but Ricardo, Albon, Verstappen, Leclerc, Ocon, Russell, Hulkenberg, and Science. And the spread between Norris and Science was about 1.2 seconds. So that's, that's quite a big gap between 1st and 10th, it seems. Because pit stops are usually, well, it seemed this year they're about 3 seconds. They're a little longer. Yeah, I've been surprised how slow they are this season. Yeah, I don't know if that's to do with regulations or just the new the new tires. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. But, um, yeah, and I also couldn't find the actual in-the-pit-box times, which I was, I was searching for a little while, but I couldn't find anything, so I think we'll just have to roll with this. Um, so I will... Dole out the points for this this week, and then I will go back later, and I will add the results from last week. And then keep track of that on a spreadsheet, and we will we will obviously update you as the season goes on. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So let's talk about our predictions for this race in Saudi Arabia. I almost nailed it. Well, no, I don't know. Mm. I didn't get the winner, but I got the top five completely right. Okay. So I'll take it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I um, uh, just barely squeaked in with Signs as my my dark horse mm-hmm. who came in, but I just had the order shuffled around a little bit, and uh, I don't know what Hamilton's doing in there, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone could have quite predicted what, what happened to Hamilton this week. No. So, um, yeah, I... I was being optimistic putting Russell instead of Hamilton in the top five, and uh, I got lucky there. But my top five prediction was Science, Leclerc, Verstappen, Russell, Perez. Yep, and then mine was Leclerc, Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, and Russell. Okay, and then just to remind everybody, the actual top five was Verstappen, Leclerc, Science, Perez, Russell. Okay. So Nathan was very close. He walks away with this one, but uh, I'll get him next time. <laughs> okay. You want to do, like, points? You want to do one point if you win, and then we'll keep track? Go back at the end of the season and see who's best? Keep track of how badly I lose? I don't think so. No? <laughs> <laughs> you think you... I don't know. I've gotten lucky the last couple times, but I don't know if that's going to continue. We'll have yeah, to see. Yeah, you're already ahead. I can't afford to keep track of this. That's fair. That's fair. I, I can't I can't change the rules after we start. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> All right. So maybe next season on that. Maybe but, next uh, season. <laughs> Let me prepare first. All right. We'll move on to our predictions for the next race. The Australian Grand Prix is set to take place on April 9th. This should be the first race in Australia since March of 2019. It's been three years since we raced there, and I'm super excited to see that track again. They've made a bunch of changes since the last time we've seen it, and I think it should make the racing a little bit closer. So let's go over let's go over what we think is going to happen. Um, do you want to do your top five first, or do you want me to go first? I don't remember who went first last time. I think I did. I think you might have gone first, yeah. So let's see. It's Australia. It's been a while since we've seen an Australian Grand Prix. Therefore, it'll be a relatively fresh track for a lot of people. It doesn't really come into any sort of relevance for what I'm thinking. But I'm going to (laughs) say it's for stopping again. And then Leclerc. And then Perez. I think Sainz is going to come after them. And then rounding out fifth place, that's a tough one. I'm going to say Ricardo gets, a, no, I'm going to have Ricardo play Dark Horse. I'm going to put mm-hmm. Russell as my fifth, but I oh. want Rus- or Ricardo as my Dark Horse because he deserves it. It's been a while since he's had a home race. He does deserve it. I was I was really hoping he would being a good car this year because he he wants that podium so bad <laughs> been trying so hard to get home for the past what two years three years two or three years almost yeah so 
that that poor guy. I I hope Ricardo does well. I I don't know if I'm gonna predict him up that high though, unfortunately. Um, I think for me, I'm gonna say Leclerc, Verstappen, Signs. Hmm. I'm gonna go fourth place, Ocon. And then fifth place. Hmm. I'm just thinking where I want to put Perez. I'm gonna go sixth place Alcon. I'm gonna go or fifth or fourth place Alcon, and then fifth place Alonso, and then I'll put Perez as my dark horse. Interesting. Perez is a dark horse. You don't think he's gonna break top five? Uh, I I don't know. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> trying to throw some interesting stuff out there. Fair enough. But uh. I would say, I mean, Alcon and Alonso look so good, though. So yeah, I'll 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 do that, and then I'll put Perez in as my dark horse because he probably okay. will get like fourth or fifth. But okay, so well, that is our those those are our predictions for the top five. Uh, let's go over our fastest lap prediction. Fastest lap. I think that's going to be Leclerc. I think that's pretty easy. Okay. Um, just for the sake of being different, I'll say signs. Okay. <laughs> and driver of the day, who are you thinking for that? Uh, Danny Ricardo. Yeah. I think he will win that. Yeah. I mean, how can he not? Right. He's the only Australian driver on the grid at the moment. And... Yeah. Uh, Man, he deserves it. <laughs> he really does. Right so unless he has an happen. atrocious race, I think he'll probably win driver of the day. I think even if he has an atrocious race, <laughs> he'll still be driver of the day. I mean, you saw right. what everyone was able to do for Reikkonen. For Kimmy. Yeah. Yeah. For, so for people who don't remember um, or missed it, Kimmy Raikkonen won driver of the day in Abu Dhabi at the last race of the season last week or last year. And... Uh, he DNF'd, so it, it didn't, yeah. <laughs> wasn't really, uh, <laughs> and it was completely his fault too. So, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I would, I wouldn't put it past the F1 fans to give Ricardo the driver of the day, regardless of how he does. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so uh, at, least, okay. at least we have that that we can kind of count on. Yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be something to look forward to, and uh, hopefully we get a good race. Um, I know. A lot of people have, have kind of questioned the Australian track in the past, but it has been changed, and I think the changes look good. It'll it'll hopefully make the racing a little closer. Plus, with these new cars, the race the racing's so close um, between everybody. the The cars are so much closer together. I feel like this year. So I've been really enjoying this season so far, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. Yep, me too ready to get a refresher on the Australian Grand Prix track after it's been so long I can barely remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I think that's all we've got on the docket for today. Do you have any closing thoughts, Ben? I do not. Alrighty. Well then, thank you everybody so much for listening. We had a great time talking about some great racing today and look forward to doing it again. We'll be back in two weeks' time after the Australian Grand Prix, so stay tuned. If you enjoyed today's episode of Rev Hangout, leave a like or rating on the platform you listen on. It really helps us out. If you'd like to follow our daily thoughts and comments on the racing world, follow us Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RevHangMedia. Signing off for now, I have been Nathan. And I've been Ben. Thanks for coming to hang out with us, guys. Yeah, have a great week, everybody.